And uh, as they're making their way out, I want to uh, kind of reiterate what Jeff said. We're going to be uh, singing that song. Um, I love that phrase, his promise still stands. As a matter of fact, I expect one of my sermons to be titled, His Promise Still Stands, when we look at the life of Joseph uh, in the days ahead, several weeks now ahead of us. We've titled this message, A Reason to Dream. You know, a lot of people feel like giving up on their dreams sometime, and life throws a lot of curveballs at us, things happen. Sometimes the moment God gives you a dream, the next thing you see happen is not what you would have expected to happen, and so that could cause you to stop dreaming, to stop having a reason to dream. And so as we introduce that subject and the life of Joseph this morning, I want you to turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37, and let's stand as we open God's Word together and answer this question, what do we do when dreams become nightmares? What do, we have, what, what do you do when your dream becomes a nightmare, when things don't go the way that you thought or dreamed that they would? It certainly happened in the life of Joseph. We'll read the first 11 verses, but we'll also consider the rest of the chapter in the message this morning. It says that Jacob, speaking of Joseph's father, lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. These are the family records of Jacob. At 17 years of age, Joseph tended sheep with his brothers. The young man was working with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought a bad report to them, or about them, to their father. Now Israel, the other name that God had given Jacob, loved Joseph more than his other sons because Joseph was a son born to him in his old age. And he made a robe of many colors for him. And when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, there was a reason they perceived that with this robe, they hated him and could not bring themselves to speak peaceably to him. Then Joseph had a dream, and he told it to his brothers, and they hated him even more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. There we were, binding sheaves of grain in the field. Suddenly my sheaf stood up, and your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. Are you really going to reign over us, his brothers asked him? Are you really going to rule us? So they hated him even more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and told it to his brothers. Look, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the 11 stars were bowing down to me. And he told his father and his brothers, but his father rebuked him. What kind of dream is this that you have had, he said, Are your mother and brothers and I going to bow down to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. In other words, he thought this is worthy of some contemplation, some some thinking about maybe God's up to something here. Father, we thank you for this word that you've given us, this record of the life of a dreamer. Lord, I thank you that everything is not like it would have been drawn up in a Hollywood movie script, but instead it's real to the life that we live every day, that when we have dreams, that they occasionally seem to turn to nightmares. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us 
to discover during these weeks ahead a reason to dream and that it would be for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I remember reading a young, the story of a young boy, his name was Jimmy, who was guilty. As his mom would walk into the room at night and expect him to be asleep, he would always be staring out his window when there was a full moon or at least enough of the moon for him to see. He would just stare at the moon. And, and one day his mom came in and said, why are you always staring out your window at the moon? And he said, well, mama, I'm going there one day. Now, this was before anybody had ever gone there. But she would say, you need to get some sleep. But she still fueled the fire and said, okay, well, honey, whatever you say, if you want to go to the moon someday. This was the middle of the 20th century, and this little boy named Jimmy would later become known as astronaut James Irwin. He stared at the moon and said he was going there one day, and one day his dream would come true as he would walk on the moon. It's often been said of Walt Disney that he was having a discussion with people and that he would, he would describe what Disney World was going to be like after Disneyland had been built. And someone visited Disney World years after Walt Disney had passed away and said, could you imagine if he had lived long enough to see all of this? And one of his longtime friends said he did see all of this. That's why it's here today. In other words, he saw it before we saw it. I've heard before, if you don't see it before you see it, you will never see it. Believers should be people who have a dream for what God can do in them, through them, with them, and in this world. As we read the story of Joseph, we read about a boy who was born a dreamer, born a visionary, but things did not unfold. In fact, the rest of the story, as Paul Harvey would say in this chapter, isn't as pretty as the beginning. And so we see that the nightmare comes into his life before you get out of chapter 37. And he seems to encounter some other situations like that. In other words, if there was anybody who ever had an excuse to say, okay, forget it. Every time I dream, it seems like something negative happens. Every time I get a vision for God, in fact, I heard somebody came by the office this week who had been by here about a month ago to tell me about a young man that they had been witnessing to and praying for. And he believed this young man was running from God and running from a calling into the ministry. And he said, listen, this guy had a, a, a real vision for serving God, but some things have happened in his life, and now he's doubting God's very existence. And so many of us do that. We have a vision, we have a dream, we have a, what we believe is a call from God on our life or on our family, on our church, and then negative circumstances enter the picture, and the dream becomes a nightmare, and we give up on that dream. Nightmare, if you look it up in a thesaurus, has some synonyms. In other words, it doesn't always describe what we would call a bad dream. The word nightmare, synonyms listed are ordeal, trial, torment, horror, hell, misery, agony, torture, assault, and murder. We're all considered synonyms of nightmare. Some of you would say, I am going through an ordeal. I am going through a trial. I am going through torment. I'm going through a horror. I am going through hell right now, Pastor. I'm going through misery. I'm going through agony. 
I'm going through torture, assault, hopefully not murder this morning. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the three patriarchs of the Jewish faith, were all men who had dreams, had visions, had a call of God on their life. And yet their faith was tested because that dream looked like it was about to die. Whether you talk about Abraham's faith, and yet then he's called to sacrifice his son Isaac, and he's caught in dealing with his own sin and and lies in his own life at times, or, or whether you talk about Isaac and he thinks everything's going right, and yet things kind of fall apart for a little while in his life, or Jacob, we see that uh, when he just about the time he gets things worked out, then he's been deceived again. He has to wrestle with God and discover God's plan and God's calling for his life, his vision. All three of their, the, these patriarchs, we're talking about Joseph's father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather, all of them had dreams that seemed to become nightmare for a season before they got in on what God ultimately had planned for them. So if you're a follower of God, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ this morning, I want you to understand the New Testament tells us that we need to read these stories in the Old Testament and we need to learn from them and learn from their example. And so as we look at the life this morning of Joseph, we want to learn from his example and we want to learn what Christ followers must remember during those moments when your dream becomes maybe a nightmare. Maybe things aren't unfolding like you thought they would unfold. The first thing you need to remember is that there is a growth process. Remember the process of growth in the midst of these dreams. Dreams need clarification. Dreamers need character development in their life. If you want to dream big for God, then that dream that you get from God needs to be clarified, and the dreamer needs character development in their own life. That's the process of growth. Joseph needed to grow up. Not only physically, he needed to grow up spiritually in some areas. Joseph was a flawed young dreamer. He inherited many of his problems from the family that he was brought up in. Remember, this is the family lineage going back to Abraham and would be the family lineage that would represent the people of God throughout the world as a light, and yet it was a dysfunctional family to say the least. God needed to do something in Joseph before Joseph could do something for God. And I want you to keep in mind, if you're one who you believe God has given you a vision, God has given you a dream for something to accomplish, that dream may be for you and your family and your church and your community. Always remember what God does in you is more important than what you do for God. He wants to do something in and through you so that he can prepare you to be used for his glory. Now, we know a little bit about Joseph here. We know that he was a bit a bit spoiled, right? I mean, you go back to verses 3 and 4. It says that Israel showed a little favoritism. He loved Joseph more than his other brothers. He was the son born to him in his old age. He was born to the favorite wife, right, Rachel. His brothers saw that. They could tell this son is the spoiled brat. He's the one who's loved more, according to verse 4. So they hated him. 
That couldn't have been fun growing up, knowing that your brothers hated you. So he's born to a trickster, a one who was even named, to kind of picture that he's going to be a, a conniver, the one who was grasping at the heel, born to Jacob, this con artist. He was the son of a, the favorite wife, Rachel, which caused him to be a little bit more of a spoiled brat. He had a jealous stepmom, and in addition to the jealous stepmom, there were two jealous step, uh, you might call them concubines, you might call them wives. The Scripture refers to them as the two other wives here. His grandfather Laban was also a scammer. He, was, he had a hot-tempered uncle named Esau. Anybody got a hot-tempered uncle? Hope my nephews don't raise their hands, I won't look. He had brothers from other mothers who hated him even more. And so he's growing up in this dysfunctional family, in a dysfunctional context. You may say, Pastor Robbie, if you just kind of knew my family background, you would know why God's not going to use me. Look at who God delights in using. He delights in using people that the world say, man, they're from a messed up context. And yet there's a process of growth that he's going to have to endure. If you go back to verse 2, you see he was already developing a work ethic and he was developing character because he was tending sheep with his brothers. Which brothers was he hanging out with here? Well, he was hanging out with the four, two that were born to Bilhah and two that were born to Zilpah. He was hanging out with the four that were really the tough customers. He, he went to work with these men who were older brothers who these older brothers were carrying a chip on the shoulder because they always felt somewhat illegitimate compared to the other brothers. And so because of their own insecurities, they had likely become bullies, and, and they brought horror and nightmares and terror into the life of Joseph. And yet Jacob still said, go to work with them. Now part of it was not only to teach him a work ethic, part of it I think was just to keep an eye on these brothers because they could be scoundrels. And he knew that Joseph would be that that tattletale, right? He knew that he could get information back. And so he's developing a work ethic. He's, he's with the toughest crowd. He's told to, to give a report, and he gives a bad report. And so God is using less than desirable circumstances to sharpen his character. This week, you may have to go work in some places you would rather not go work in. You may have to actually work with some people you would rather not work with. No amen from Jeff back there. You may have to be around some people that you would rather not be around, but God is using them, whether they are believers or not, he's using them to sharpen your character and to clarify your dreams and to show you what he has in store for you. And in the midst of that, Joseph was not conformed to the world around him, but called sin what it was. Romans 12 and verse 2 says, don't let the world press you into its mold. It would have been easy for Joseph to fight fire with fire and say, all right, boys, you ain't seen nothing yet. You're going to be that way? Let me show you. I'm going to be the thorn in your flesh. I'm going to absolutely drive you nuts. But he did not embrace their character. But he went and reported to the Father what it was. He was not pressed into their mold. Now, one area that he needed some sharpening in was not only his character development here, but, but his tact. 
his diplomacy. Jesus said that we're to be as shrewd as serpents, but as harmless as doves. In other words, we're to use wisdom and we're to use tact when we're confronting the sins of this world and when we're talking about our Lord and sharing the gospel that he's given us. In fact, in Romans 12 and verse 2, where it says, don't let the world press you into its mold, you get to verse 18 in the same chapter, and Paul says, as much as possible, as much as depends on you, you're to live at peace with all men. And so you're to develop this spirit of diplomacy. Remember when Paul was on those missionary journeys? Yes, he preached a truth that cut to the heart and sometimes even got him stoned, but he also used tact. He tried to meet people where they were. He tried to have conversations with them about God. When you look at Paul at Mars Hill, he's speaking philosophy with the philosophers. And so he's learned tact and, and diplomacy. That's something that Joseph still needed to learn at this point. This is an area of development in his life. You know, you can be right, but be right with the wrong spirit. You can know the truth, and you can have a dream that is from God, but if you don't relay that in the right spirit, it's going to be rejected by those around you. Did you hear how Joseph had responded when he had a dream? He went and he told his brothers, said, guys, man, I had a dream. This is awesome. Um, I, I dreamed that we all had our sheaves, and, and my sheaves stood tall, and your sheaves bowed down. Now, that was an accurate picture of what God was going to do, but that was not perhaps the most tactful way to communicate it because it's as if he was saying, I'm better than you guys. But remember, his parents had kind of spoiled him along the way anyway, so he probably felt that growing up. And then later, you know, while his, I can just imagine Jacob saying, well, that's right, you know, Joseph, you're special, and yeah, they're probably going to bow down to you. So the next dream included the sun and the moon, and now all of a sudden you have the stars representing the brothers, the sun representing the father, the moon, mother, and, and Jacob is saying, oh, wait a minute, whoa, 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 whoa. Now you can dream all you want to, but don't, don't dream about me bowing down to you, son. And then he had to stop and think about that. This was a 17-year-old who didn't quite know how to communicate with tact and grace and so he needed to grow in these areas, and he would be stretched in these areas. And when you go through difficult times, and God puts difficult people into your life, and you have a dream, and they seem to rob that dream, later on when we see the things happening to Joseph that happened to Joseph that would bring humility and brokenness into his life, those were necessary to take Joseph to where God wanted to take him, to do what he wanted to do in his life, and to build those characteristics of a leader of grace and humility into him that he would so desperately need in the days ahead. And so when you have a dream and God puts those people into your life that keep you broken and keep you humble, thank God for those people. Thank God for those circumstances. You might say, as Jeff was talking about in a moment, going through the fire, Lord, I'd rather go around the fire. I'd rather avoid the trials that seem to be coming into my life. When the book of James tells us to count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. God is growing us up in him. We need to develop that character. If you ever see a butterfly struggling to get out of a cocoon, don't help it out. Don't help it out. 
I've been told if you cut the cocoon open and let the butterfly out that you will destroy a developmental process where that butterfly is strengthening its wings and preparing to fly. As you go through those difficult seasons of life, God will allow them to develop character in you. And if you're not careful and your children have dreams and you try to make life easy on them, and we've got a generation now of children growing up because everybody always wants to make everything easy on them, right? It's, it's always the teacher at school's fault. It's always the coach's fault. It's always somebody else's fault. And they don't let those children endure difficult circumstances. Then they don't develop the mental and spiritual toughness that they need in order to be successful in life and to see their dreams come true. So when you go through those difficult seasons, realize it's the process of growth that's going to prepare you for the dream. Secondly, keep in mind that we need to remember the providence of God in those moments. And in fact, dreams without God are powerless and purposeless. Dreams without God in the equation are powerless dreams and purposeless, purposeless dreams. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we could ask or even imagine, to him be glory in the church, both now and forever. And so if God gives you a vision, he gives you a dream, he gives it to you for his glory, and we're to understand that he's the one that will make it happen. He's the one who, who gives the promise and makes sure that it stands. So when we talk about dreamers today, the voice of this world, the voices of this world have different responses. There are fatalists, that would say, it doesn't matter if you have a dream, it's all for nothing anyway. And so all dreams may as well be a nightmare. We have humanists that leave God out of the equation. And we have hedonists who say, if you're going to dream, man, dream a, a, a fantasy world of just keeping yourself happy. The fatalist says, there's no use in dreaming. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, what will be, will be. And so it really doesn't matter what you dream, what's going to happen is going to happen, and you have no control over it. The humanist says, dream in a way that revolves around mankind, but leave out the God equation. The hedonist says, just make yourself happy whatever you have to do. We see humanism kind of leading the race in our nation today. But it's been that way for a long time, where people would say, man, you, you need to have a dream, and we need to dream as individuals, we need to dream as families, and we need to dream as a nation, but it's all about mankind, and it's not about the kingdom of God, and so the dream becomes powerless and purposeless. One who wrote about daydreaming was the former Beatle, John Lennon, 1971, he wrote the song Imagine that became a big hit, and still is played often today. He wrote these words with his wife looking on in 1971. He says, imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us. Above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. Imagine there's no countries. It isn't hard to do. Nothing to kill or die for and no religion too. Imagine all the people living life in peace. You may say, I'm a dreamer, but I'm not the only one. I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one. 
There's this humanistic picture that, listen, if we could do away with the concepts of religion and heaven and hell, and we could realize that mankind is really the best there is and all there is, then the world would be such a wonderful place. Imagine no possessions. I wonder if you can. No need for greed or hunger. There's such a movement today towards socialism, and they just don't get it, that we live in a sin-fallen world where those dreams have no way of becoming a reality. A brotherhood of man. Imagine all the people sharing all the world. And a decade later, he would discover that the heart of the problem is the problem of the heart. Man needs redemption. His own life would be taken in an assassination. When we try to leave God out of the equation, our dreams become powerless and purposeless. When those dreams are not held in check with the Word of God, they become misguided, perverted, and distorted. Jesus said in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So when I dream outside of the glory of God and for the kingdom of God, according to the Word of God, then my dreaming becomes powerless and purposeless and meaningless. In James 4, we see that It even can affect the prayer lives of people who claim to be believers. He says, you desire and do not have. You murder and you covet and cannot obtain. You fight and you war. You do not have because you do not ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly so you may spend it on your own desires for pleasure. Adulteresses, he says, do you not know that friendship With the world is hostility toward God, so whoever wants to be the world's friend becomes God's enemy. When our dreams get outside of God's plan and God's call, God's vision, then they become powerless and purposeless. It may be called the American dream, but if it doesn't align with God's kingdom call, on your life. Well, Pastor Robbie, do you not believe in the American dream? Man, I believe in something so much bigger than the American dream, that the kingdom of God has so much more to offer me than anything else. And as this nation aligns itself with the kingdom of God, then then we'll be okay. But as we depart from kingdom principles, then the American dream becomes the pursuit of hedonism and humanism and fatalism. I want something bigger than the American dream. I want something more noble than the American dream. That is a kingdom dream that gets God's provision, God's protection. Look what happened in Joseph, the the providence of God, as God is protecting him. If you, you skip down to verses 21 and 22, when Reuben heard that they were about to try to kill him, he tried to save him from them. And he said, let's not take his life. Reuben also said to them, don't shed his blood. Throw him into this pit in the wilderness, but don't lay a hand on him, intending to rescue him from their hands and return him to his father. And then Judah steps up on another occasion where they were, you could just see that the, especially the four most violent of the brothers were ready to kill him. Judah said to his brothers, what do we gain if we kill our brother and cover up his blood? Come, let's sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay a hand on him, for he is our brother, our own flesh. And so his brothers agreed. And so at those moments where it looked like it was all over, God's providence intervened. And we'll see that throughout the life of Joseph. 
and we'll learn for our own lives. God will not call us home until he's ready for us. And until God's ready for you, nothing can touch you as you walk with him. We see the providence of God as they seek first the kingdom of God. And finally, I want you to see in his dream, and I want you to learn to see in your dreams a picture of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why was there a break in Joseph's story when we get to chapter 38? And then it kind of comes back and we see the life of Joseph. Verse 38 is about Judah. It points to Judah. Judah was the head of the Messianic tribe. Judah is a picture of God's redemption. Christ would eventually come through his lineage. Judah would be the one who spoke up and spared Joseph's life, but Judah would also fall into great carnality in chapter 38. And it's against that backdrop that in chapter 39 next week we'll see Joseph's integrity. And, and so when you're looking at chapter 38, it's sort of, a, 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 sort of a, um, a meanwhile back at the ranch moment. We know that we're going to follow the life of Joseph into Egypt, but, but you need to remember there's something going on because there are some people that God loves, but they're out of fellowship with him and they're going to need redemption. And so we see the gospel pictured in Joseph's life. You see that beginning from the moment in chapter 37 when he receives the robe, the robe, that coat of many colors, pictured a family priesthood being passed on. And typically that would be passed on to the oldest or or the firstborn. But it seems that Jacob would legitimize the firstborn of Rachel, his favorite wife, right? Right? And so he becomes a a picture of the son who would have privilege and who would have priority. A picture of Christ, if you will. And when they're in the land of Hebron and his brothers have left, the, the land of Hebron, that name Hebron, means fellowship, friendship, a colleague, right and good relationship. And so his brothers would have left fellowship with the father. And they had gone to Shechem, a land meaning strength, speaking of human strength. And and it showed their failures in their own strength. It was also a reminder of the place where their sister had been raped. And where two of the brothers had taken revenge and murdered the men. And lost their own integrity. Showing that human strength will fall short every time. And then they end up in Dothan. Dothan is a city in southeast Alabama. We all have to pass through to get to Panama City, right? Dothan means the city of two wells. It was a place of two wells. And we know that at least one of those wells was dry because Joseph was thrown into this pit, into this dry cistern, this well, to remind us that what this world has to offer will leave us dry and leave us empty. Joseph came in to rescue them. (laughs) When Joseph came in to see them restored to fellowship with the Father, they mistreated him, they abused him, they persecuted him. When Jesus came into this world to seek and to save the lost, we mistreated him, we abused him, we crucified him. We're being told the latest advertising campaign by Nike that you need to believe in something, right? 
Believe in something to the point that you would sacrifice everything. I would say today, be careful that what you believe in is real. Be careful that what you believe in is true. When you have a dream, make sure that it aligns with the kingdom of God and with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ that you can believe in so passionately that even if it costs you everything, it will be worth it on. Quite frankly, there's a lot of things in this world you can take a stand for and you will fall with those things when they fall. So don't just believe in anything. It's not the sincerity of the belief, it's how true it is that you believe. Put your faith in Jesus Christ. And then in your dreams, make sure that there is a gospel purpose. In your dreams, as you understand your mission and your calling is to know Him and make Him known to your community and ultimately to the nations, say, God, give me a noble dream, a dream that you provide your power and your purposes in because it's a missional dream. It's a dream of me impacting my family and leaving a legacy of godliness. It's a dream of me reaching my community with the gospel of Christ. It's a dream of being part of a church that's going to touch the nations with the gospel of Christ. God, give me those kind of dreams, something that is so much bigger than the American dream because it's a kingdom of God dream. Ask for those kind of dreams. And watch what God will do in your life to turn those nightmares into stepping stones for his glory. Would you bow your heads with me this morning?